in this place. Well, last night, um, I couldn't sleep. Uh, here we go again. Uh, I started getting... You're going to learn this about me. There's no, I'm an open book behind the pulpit, okay? Like, I, like my wife learns of stuff as I'm preaching to a crowd of people. So um, anyway, it is what it is. It's just how it comes out. But I, I had some, I don't know if it was acid reflux or just some kind of heartburn or what, but I got up at 4 a.m. I've been battling a sinus infection since Wednesday. And, uh, and so I'm like, well, here I am, 4 a.m., and... So I'm sitting around, and I'm just like, man, it's like, what is going on here? And started praying and whatnot. And then I finally doze off, and when I doze off, I have this crazy, scary dream. And uh, so anyway, uh, so I woke up from that and thought, man, as soon as I doze off, and then, so I just basically laid in wake in bed tonight, and I just thought, man, God must really have a word for some. There must be really some people needing to be set free from some things. Um, I used to would have looked at that as maybe I had done something wrong. Now I see it as we're in a battle, okay? We're in a fight, okay? And if we're not seeing opposition, then something's wrong. Something's wrong. And so this dream that I had, I, me and my wife were at the beach, right? Pretty cool so far. So we're holding hands, and yeah, that's not prophetic, young, so don't be thinking we're going. Uh, so we're holding hands at the beach, and it's a great scene, and, and the Lord was just kind of speaking to me that this ocean that we saw represented faith. It meant to stepping out into the unknown and the mysterious. And so as we're sitting there, then all of a sudden, in washes up a, a cobra, no, cobras aren't in the ocean, so I don't need a biology lesson later, but it's just what it is. And it was swimming around, and I guess a part of me thought, maybe this isn't a poisonous snake. And I looked, and it flared its hood like a cobra and had the markings, and I said, no, this is a cobra. I said, Em, this is coming to, to get us. And so I put my wife on my back and was taken off running, to the beach, but it was sand as far as you can see. And if you've ever ran on sand, you know how that goes, right? It's like, it's like you can't really just run. You can't take off. And so I'm running the sand, and I said, babe, I said, I, we, can't, uh, we can't outrun this. We're going to have to face it. And so, we turn, so I just put her down, and I just turned around, and I grabbed the snake by the throat and just wrestled it, and then I, that's where I woke up. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you can't outrun your fears. You have to turn around and you've got to face the fears in your life. And so, I don't know if I overtook the snake. I don't know what happened. But I had that sucker by the neck and we were rolling in the sand. And so the Lord just began to speak to me. You can't outrun your fears. Your fears will drive you and drive you and drive you. You can get yourself in a room and lock your door, and those fears will be on the other side ahead of you, not knocking on the door to get in. They'll actually be in the room with you. There comes a time in your life where you have to face your fears. You have to face your doubts. You have to face these things that you've been unwilling to deal with because what you don't challenge won't change. And so you've got to put some resistance into it. And all you can do, 
maybe sometimes is put your hand around something's neck and just start trying to strangle it. But I want to tell you there's one that has come that his heel has been wounded, but his heel crushed the head of that snake. And so you have to be willing to get in the fight with Jesus and allow him to get his foot on that thing that is keeping you down. Because many times we allow our circumstances to begin to inform us on who God is and what he's doing in our life. So if things are going good, God is good. But if things are going bad, maybe God's bad. These things begin to bleed into our soul and into our psyche. We begin to create a God according to our own image and not according to how God has revealed himself to us in his word. And we begin to forget the things that God has done for us. There's a book that, that we read in, in school. It was called Night by Elie Wassell. And him and his family were Hungarian Jews, and they were taken to Auschwitz. The same night that he got there, his mother and three sisters died. And in this book, Night, he recounts a scene to where he lost his faith. And in this scene... He looks up and going to the gallows are two men and a young boy. And as they go and make their way up, the two men shouted out, Long live liberty. And as soon as they shouted that out, the Nazis kicked the chairs out from under them. (laughs) And the two men that were heavy enough died right there because they had enough weight. But the young boy hung there for half an hour. And Elie Wassell said a a voice came up into his heart and said, Where's your God? And Elie Wassell said, in his own mind, he answered the question and said, He's up there dying in that noose. See, he was saying that is the death of my God and my faith was in that moment. But I want to tell you there's another interpretation that our God doesn't shy away from suffering, that he enters into it. So in a sense, he was right. God had put his head through the noose by dying on the cross for us. So God does enter into suffering. That he's not absent when things aren't going right for you, but that he's in the middle of that darkness. I want to submit something to you. You can't have darkness without light, but you can have light without darkness. So if you're in darkness, that's just evidence that there's light still shining. And so you just have to find your way under it and get under that thing and let the Lord shine on you and lift you up when it's due season and due time. See, there's times in our life when we're tempted to lose faith. Some of us have experienced great tragedies. We're in the middle of great battles. And sometimes we think God doesn't care. But that response I've found is not from great proof. That response comes out of great pain. It comes from a hurting heart that needs to be healed. So let's think about this reality in our mind. If we see these great tragedies and we see these great things, where will this end lead? 
Well, if we remove God from the equation and say that the universe is nothing more than chance acting on matter and that the stronger organism overcomes the weaker and this process of predation and this cycle continues on, the evidence is clear that this is kind of how the world operates. The strong survive. But then we have to answer another question. Why does it bother us so bad when the weak are trampled? Why does it bother us so bad when tragedy happens? If this is what we see, shouldn't we be saying, duh, this is the way it goes? But there's a part of us that says something's not right. There's a part of us that says, no, this isn't the way it goes. That something is to be done about this and something is going to be done about this. There's something in our hearts that, that, that leaps up and says, no, this isn't right. And I submit to you that you don't feel worse about it than God does. Because when we get to feel in a certain way, we think, man, I'm really caring about this, but God doesn't care. Now, I'm going to give you another perspective. God has allowed you to feel just a little bit of his heart, and that's why you feel so bad about it. If you knew how God really felt about it, you could not handle the burden of grief that is in the Father heart of God. So it does no good to just do away with God. Because when we do away with God, we ought to just say, well, let's accept it. Something in us says, no, something's wrong. God's letting us feel how he feels about something so that we know his heart. Now, why do these things happen? That's a whole other question, and who knows? Sometimes we, we don't know. But the ultimate revelation of God is Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But they were in perfect unity as one. And when we see Christ... The perfect man, the man who did no wrong, we see him being murdered on a cross. So that when God becomes man, he submits to suffering just the way you do. So while we might not understand, we can walk away and say it's not because God doesn't care. And if we look at the cross, we see suffering turning into payment for our salvation. When we look at the cross, we see three days later a resurrection. So we can look at God's suffering and say, look what happens. God even makes that good. So somehow he's going to take our mess and our situation and he's turning it to some kind of good. But right now you're in the process of what's called faith. And you're not walking by sight. You've got to walk this thing out by trust. And so God is saying, keep trusting. I'm still working. I'm still doing something. I need you to hang on because the greater thing is going to be ladder. Your best days are still ahead. Many of us have countless inner wounds. Griefs that never seem to quite heal. Wrongs that can never be righted. Memories that cannot be erased hurtful words or betrayals 
the recurrent knot in your stomach when you're around that certain person that hurt you. The silence at the dinner table, knowing something's wrong, but nobody's brave enough to address it. Sometimes silence is louder than an argument. We all bear these pains. And in John chapter 20, one of Jesus' apostles dealt with this pain and he dealt with this doubt. That one of Jesus' chosen was experiencing doubts. Doubts not informed by lack of proof. Doubts informed by pain. Doubts informed by apparently missing out. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So here we have disciples, right? The great men of God that Jesus handpicked, and they've got the doors locked. They're afraid. Now, Jesus repeatedly told them through the Gospels what was going to happen, that he would be handed over into the hands of sinful men, that he would be crucified. But guess what, guys? On the third day, I'm going to rise again. He'd tell them that repeatedly. He would tell his apostles, his closest ones, about this day of suffering that was going to come. But hang on, guys. It's going to work out for the good and for God's great plan this should have been a time of celebration. Because many times things don't go the way we think they should go, or they don't go the way we thought they would go. But here's a time where it went exactly the way Jesus said it was going to happen. So it reveals something about us that it's not how much of what we've heard from Jesus, it's how connected to his heart is and, and to his heart is to ours and how much we trust him. Because they had heard Jesus teaching, my goodness, they had walked with him for three and a half years. But something in them has the doors locked, even though they knew that what had happened was exactly what Jesus repeatedly told them was going to happen. Now, if you notice something here, Jesus doesn't knock on the door. Do you notice that transition? Doors are locked. Peace be with you. Ah, Jesus, you've got no manners. Which is a stark contrast to Revelation 3, right? Behold, I stand at the door and... But you see, Revelation 3, that wasn't his people. He was trying to get on the inside of that place. But see, he doesn't have to knock on somebody that's already his. He can just bust right in and say, Hey, guys, here I am with you. So Jesus doesn't knock on the door of his own. He'll bust right in and say, You are mine. And we need to deal with some things and get your belief right. So fear leads us to lock doors. And this is what I'm convinced. is The opposite of love is not hate. It's fear. If it wasn't, then why would John say that perfect love casts out fear? So the root of all this hate and racism and stuff is fear. Somebody's going to get over me and mine, which leads to hate, 
would never admit that it's fear because that would have to show weakness and that would have to show humility and repentance. So it looks really big and strong, but in the actuality, it's an insecurity of fear. Anybody that you see confronting somebody else in a a wrong attitude, there's some kind of insecurity that their success struck up. And when they saw that, they just could not bear it. And so it would look big and strong and tough, but really it's just an insecurity. It's, It's fear. It's fear. But getting angry back doesn't defeat fear. Only love defeats fear. So the next time somebody's acting out on you, just love on them. Well, they told me, what's, what's your ministry philosophy? I said, outwork them, outlove them, and outlast them. You're either going to let me love on you or you're going to get out of here, I'm telling you. It's just how it is. Because love never fails. Fighting always fails. War always fails. Love never fails. It never fails. It will always bring the appropriate outcome. Verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Did you notice that? Joy entered in when they saw his wounds. Matter of fact, a lot of people didn't recognize Jesus until he showed them his wounds. That should tell us something that Jesus was pretty commonplace as far as his appearance. That he has to show wounds in order to be recognized. He wants to be recognized by his wounds. Why? Because his wounds tell a story. You guys know how it is when you got a scar. You're just begging for somebody to ask. Unless it's like appendix or something, then you're like, oh, well, yeah. (laughs) Nothing brave there, but. Where are we? Verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. Now watch this awesome moment that happened with these hiding disciples. Jesus loves doubters. He just is always coming in to prove them wrong and to show how much he loves them. Verse 22, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, look at this, this is really strange. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So I would say, man, what an encounter with Jesus. Jesus walks through a wall, says, peace be with you, blows on you, and you get the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. And he tells you this crazy, emboldening, empowering, authoritative statement that if anywhere you go and you don't forgive their sins, they won't be forgiven and and vice versa. What an encounter with God. Jesus is saying to them, because they were walking in a spirit of forgiveness, they weren't going to be like, okay, I forgive you, but oh, I don't forgive you. It wasn't like that. Jesus was saying that wherever you go, I'm going to be. That he was sending them out, not as, okay, go from my presence, but I'm going to go with you as you go. And the authority that I have is the authority that you'll have. And if they respond to the message, sins will be forgiven. He was letting them know they weren't just going to be talking about Jesus, but they were going to be talking for Jesus. 
need the presence of Jesus to validate that. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. So disciples have already seen him. And perhaps Thomas is discouraged because he missed it. You ever missed it? Ever had to work and then there's a, a glory cloud that busts out in a service? And, Man, you missed it. God showed up. You should stay at home more often, right? And then you're like, ha, ah, you laugh, but then a part of you thinks, God, why did you show up without me there? Be honest. Part of you wonders, God, why did you show up with me not there? See, Thomas missed it. There's times that life just works out in such a way that you miss it. You just miss it sometimes. And that's a hard place to be, especially when you've missed it a bunch of times. You ever had one of those seasons in your life where nothing went right? Everything you touch just goes to ruin. <laughs> and then you've got friends that come up to you and have these great testimonies of what God's doing in their life and all these healings and all this cool stuff. And then you're like, have to act happy for them. But a part of you is like, I wish you felt how miserable I felt right now. This is Thomas. He gets to hear about Jesus walking through a wall, breathing on them, and then saying, wherever you go, I'm going to be with you, and you're going to have this awesome, great authority. So Thomas is disappointed. Very disappointed. Listen to Thomas's response, verse 25. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, Thomas takes it a step further than the other disciples, didn't he? The others saw his wounds and rejoiced. Thomas is saying, no, I don't have to see them. I've got to put my finger in there. Thomas says, I don't have to see it. I've got to feel it to really believe it. But Thomas is in a tough place, feeling passed over by Jesus. See, I believe that he believed Jesus. He had seen Jesus do the miraculous over and over. And those were his friends. He knew they weren't just lying to him. I think Thomas was sitting there and wondering if he doubted like that, if God would be moved and show up anyway. I think he was wondering, if I say this, will God still show up? See, a lot of times, a cry of doubt, it'll be covered up with some intellectual things that, that would try to make it seem harder than it really is. But really what informs doubt is pain, rejection, discouragement. 
Thomas is saying, I'm going to have to have more of an experience than what you guys had. If I'm really going to believe this Jesus thing. His doubt was a cry to see if Jesus would come. But I want to tell you something. Jesus loves doubters. And he's got a cure for them. He's got a great cure for them. Thomas's anger's from a disappointment, missing it. That's why some people, they cloud over their anger with things like, well, God's too angry. And then some people say, well, God's not angry enough. Right? It's like nothing can satisfy this hurting heart. And the truth is, haven't we done this? We call it putting out fleeces, don't we? We make it real spiritual. Right? Okay, God, if it don't rain in China, I'll go witness to that person. Oh, rain in China. Oh, better not share with them, you know. Like We walk in this mysterious realm as if we don't really know how to live and walk. And it really just reveals a disconnection from the heart of God. And that we've lost faith that He really loves and cares for us. Think if my child had to live like that to know if I loved her or not. Think if my daughter says, oh, if mom gets me a bowl of Lucky Charms, daddy loves me. If mommy brings me a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios, daddy doesn't love me. Oh, I just tell my daughter that I love her. I tell her over and over. And matter of fact, I don't get tired of it. Matter of fact, my daughter gets tired of me trying to kiss on her and tell her that I love her. <laughs> if that's my heart, which is tainted, then what is God's heart for his children? How much is he willing to affirm his love? for us verse 26 a week later the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them though the doors were locked (laughs) Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you if you notice something here no matter how many doors are locked Jesus just keeps coming in he just keeps finding a way in And that's what Jesus will do. And this is what King David said in the Psalms, right? If I make my bed in Sheol, in the place of the dead, God, your spirit will be down there with me. If I go to the highest heavens, God, you're with me. That I can't run or escape from you, God. And when I finally let you catch me, I don't want to run anymore. I want to be in your presence and be with you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now there's many people here believing for many things. But if you notice what Jesus didn't do, he didn't say, appeal to, he didn't appeal to his majesty and power. He could have done that. 
He could have said, I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. Every knee's going to bow, Thomas. No. He said, no. He said, look right here. So he got vulnerable. He took Thomas' hand and said, here, feel. He didn't answer Thomas's question with an answer. He just showed him his wound. He said, here, I know. I know. He didn't give him some kind of intellectual fluff. He said, here, I know. I know. He said, I know. your hand in my wound because this is how I want you to know me. That I'm not the God that leaves humanity. I'm the God that enters into it and suffers alongside of you. I'm the God that leaves scars in his body and doesn't show up with a sleek looking glorious body but allows scars to remain so that the story of his wounds could be told throughout generation and generation and God will take your wounds so that your wounds can tell a story so that the afflictions of Christ can be filled up for the next generation so that you might be on display so that others might see Christ crucified again in you and that your wounds could testify to the faithfulness and goodness of God that this is what God's doing in the earth saying Fill my wounds. Fill my wounds. Jesus is saying, my wounds are your wounds. And your wounds are my wounds. That God felt your wounds when he was on the cross. He didn't just die for sin. He he bore the shame of your sin and everything you would experience. He felt all of humanity's shame and sin at one moment in history for six hours on the sixth day of the week. That he feels that he's willing to be wounded with you. And if you will walk with him, those wounds will heal into a scar. And then you got a testimony. <laughs> and then you got a testimony. Then you can say, Come here. Feel right here. I've walked where you've walked. And now I'm healed, but I still got a scar to tell the story. And this is what God's doing all in the earth. He's become flesh and dwelt among men. And he's been wounded for you. God wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. Isn't it odd? By his stripes, we're healed. That it's a wound that heals. I would think a healing heals. He says, no, it's wounds. It's wounds that heal. It's wounds that heal. So if you've been wounded, rejoice. You're a prime candidate for the glory of God to operate through your life.
because God only uses wounded soldiers. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you, God.